Amen. You may be seated. Let's take God's word and turn to the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. We will pick up in the book of Revelation tonight, God willing, where we left off last week. And uh, we'll look together at the church of Pergamos this evening. But today I want to share with you uh, something that I shared with uh, the campers, the camp on Thursday evening. And it's a little passage, a little uh, thought that I, I heard many years ago listening to a, another preacher that the Lord used in my own life personally. And it was something that God revived in my heart. And it is something that every child of God needs to consider. And I hope that it'll be a blessing to you, that it'll speak to your heart. 2 Samuel is an amazing book. 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel really deal with the life of King David and uh, cover a lot of the battles, the victories and losses of the king. And it's a historical book, but it's also a historical book about the life of Israel. When we come to chapter 5, it deals... Uh, not just with David's battles, but with Israel's battles. Some of the most fiercest battles that Israel ever had to fight are recorded for us here in this book. And chapter 5 is monumental. It's monumental in David's life. It's monumental in Israel's life. Uh, this chapter begins with David finally being anointed and appointed as king over Israel. Now, I remind you, David had already been anointed by God Long before this day, God had already sent the prophet Samuel to Jesse's house. And, and one by one, he went through the children of Jesse. And finally, he said, is there no more? And uh, we have one little brother out with the sheep. And so the, Samuel said, call him. I will not sit down until he comes. David was brought in. Immediately, God said, there's your man. He was anointed king over Israel. But it would be years before he would actually be recognized as king. It's interesting. It's an interesting thought. Some of you, some of us may have acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord and King and Savior, but he hasn't yet made it to Jerusalem, hasn't yet made it to the throne of your heart. In this chapter, David finally is appointed and recognized, accepted as king in the kingdom of Israel. David, as you know, is a type of Christ. Jesus is called the son of David. Uh, one of Tommy's favorite stories recently is when blind Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, thou son of David, because all Israelites understood that the Messiah would come from the loins of David. And uh, so therefore, Christ is a type of David, a fulfillment of it, as it were. And here it is. David finally acknowledged and accepted as king. Let me just ask you this morning. Would you look this way? What about you? Is Jesus Christ king in your life? Have you finally acknowledged and accepted him as your king? By the way, whether you acknowledge Christ, whether you recognize him as king or not, does not change the fact that he is king. He is king. And the Bible tells us there is coming a day when every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. We're living, we are living as a minority in this land. Did you know that? The child of God, the Christian, is a minority now in the United Kingdom. In fact, in the Western world, it's becoming increasingly so that we are a minority. But let me just remind you, though the whole world rage against Christ, 
Though the kingdoms of this world deny and resist and rage against the Savior, there is coming a day when every knee shall bow. When every human being that has ever lived in the history of this world will bow the knee. And it won't be because they're forced to. They will actually see that He is King. They will actually recognize they were wrong their whole life. And they will confess Him as Lord, but it'll be too late. I wonder, have you acknowledged Him? I wonder, is He your Lord? Is He your King? But you'll notice what's next in our text. After the Bible says in verse number 3, He went to Hebron and they anointed David king over Israel. He was 30 years old when he began to reign and he reigned for 40 years. And the Bible says in verse 5, in Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. Look at verse number 6. Here's where our, here's where our text begins this morning. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem. Here's where it begins. What happens, what I want to talk about this morning is what happens now that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Are you listening? What now? Because modern Christianity pushes and aims so much for a simple decision. Modern Christianity is a push and a push and a push just to get somebody to say, okay, yes, Jesus is Lord. But can I just say to you, Jesus Christ is not interested in you just saying that he's Lord. You can still die and go to hell even if you said he's Lord. Unless he becomes your king. Unless he becomes ruler over your life, seated on the throne of your life, it's just lip service. How many times did Jesus say that uh, with your lips you serve me, but your heart is far from me? Jesus said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and yet do not the things that I say? I wonder this morning, are you a follower of the Savior? Here's what happens next. When Jesus Christ becomes Lord, when when David was anointed king, the Bible says that he and his men went to Jerusalem. What's that mean? Why is he going to Jerusalem? I'll tell you why. Because he had reigned for seven and a half years in Hebron, but David wasn't interested in just reigning over part of the kingdom of Israel. He wanted to reign over all of it. Now look here. Look. Some of you, you've only given Jesus a part of your life. You've given him this much. Maybe you've given him Sunday mornings. Maybe you've given him just a little... Jesus is not interested in a part of your life. He wants all of you. Every last fiber in your being, every thought, every deep recess of your heart, the Lord Jesus wants the entire kingdom. And so it is this morning, He wants your life. So He heads for Jerusalem. What's the what's the significance of Jerusalem? I'll tell you what it is. Jerusalem is where the palace was, where the throne was, where the king ruled and reigned from. Jerusalem, you could say, is symbolic of your heart. The Lord Jesus wants to sit on the throne of your heart. Some of you are being hindered from following Christ because you have a lot of inconsistency in, in your mind. You read things in Scripture and you don't quite agree with it. You don't quite understand with understand it. And because you don't understand it, because your mind can't comprehend it, then you want to discard it because you believe that you know better than God. Now, you'd never say that. You'd never say, I know better than God, but your actions prove it. Because by denying clear teaching in Scripture, you are saying, I know better than God. 
Is that you? You're keeping Jesus off the throne. You are still sat on the throne. You're okay with Christianity as long as you can govern it. You're okay with Christianity as long as you can still call the shots on when you go to church and, and when you don't go to church and when you read the Bible and when you don't. and when No, no, you're okay with it as long as Christianity can fit into your life. But you're not, you're not about to get up off the throne and let somebody else get on it. And I tell you, you're lying to yourself, but that's the way you're behaving. David said it to Jerusalem. This is what Jesus Christ wants, the control center of your life. He wants all of you. It's interesting. The Bible tells us out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The Bible says it's out of the heart proceed evil surmisings. It's out of the heart come the issues of life. Do you know that? Every single problem you've ever faced, every sin you've ever struggled with comes from within. Do you know most of the world does the same thing? Most of the Christian world does the same thing that the Jewish Pharisees did and that all they did, they were symptom fighters. They said, I'm going to quit smoking and I'm going to quit drinking and I'm going to quit watching this and I'm going to quit. I'm, that's good. I'm not saying that's bad. But we act, we act, if we, we act as if we, if we stop those things, then the problem is solved. Problems far deeper than what happens on the outside. The problem is the heart. And if the heart gets dealt with, then all of these other things, because all these issues of life proceed to come out of the heart. And that's why the Lord Jesus wants to rule and reign there. Another interesting fact. Where would the temple be ultimately built? Anybody remember? Jerusalem. Now David had been given the, the commission and the command to build a temple in Jerusalem. So David is headed to Jerusalem because that's where God was going to be worshipped. And it's in the depths of a man and a woman where God is worshipped. And the Lord Jesus knows that if he doesn't have the throne of your heart, then you will never give God the proper worship that he deserves. Do you know that? Look, I don't mean to step on your toes, but you can come to church every day of the week, raise your hands, sing praises to God, do all you want to do. But if you don't give him your heart, you're not properly worshiping him. The Bible says God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's worthy to be worshiped. There's just one problem. You're reading our text, there's a problem. David and his men are heading to Jerusalem. Look what it says in verse 6. The king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites. There's a problem. You know what the problem was? There was somebody living there that shouldn't be there. The problem was where David needed to be, where David needed to reign, was already occupied by someone who should have never been there to begin with. Would you look here for a moment? And the reason so many of us are failing in our Christian life is because instead of letting Jesus rule in our hearts, we have allowed some foreigner to come in and take up residency in our hearts. And that sin or that device or that compromise has been dwelling in our heart rather than Jesus. The problem with David going to Jerusalem to set up his rule was that there was already somebody else there. And the problem with the Lord Jesus Christ becoming king over your life and ruling from your heart is that it might just be that there's somebody else already there. And do you know what Israel said for centuries? Look, here, you know, you know what the problem with Israel was? It's the same problem we, you and I have. 
know what they said? Look, they're not hurting anybody. These Jebusites aren't hurting anybody. They're not, not causing any problem. Maybe they're taking up a little bit of space. That's okay. We can all live together in harmony. Do you know what the average Christian says? My sin's not that bad. This, this, little, this little, little thing. It's not that big of a deal. I'm not hurting anybody. My sin isn't hurting anybody. Maybe it's hurting me, but it's just taking up a little bit of space, a little bit of time. It's not that big of a deal. I'm telling you, there are, there is no such thing as a little sin in the kingdom of God. You cannot serve two masters. Look what it says. They went up to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites. What's the next phrase? The inhabitants of the land. <laughs> they live there. Long before David ever got there, they lived there. Look, if you haven't figured out by now that there are some deep-rooted sins and propensities in your heart and in your mind that were there long before Jesus ever came, if you haven't figured that out by now, then you will live in a compromised position for the rest of your life. If you have not figured out that there's some deep-rooted natural things, sins of the nature that you never asked for, you didn't go looking for, but they're still there. Now let's just talk for a moment. How'd they get there? That's a good question, isn't it? How did the Jebusites get there to begin with? Well, go back with me to the book of Deuteronomy because that's really where it all began. They were a deep-rooted people. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is, is, is about to die. He's giving instruction to the nation of Israel who are going into the promised land. And he warns them. In fact, he commands them. Look at it with me. Deuteronomy chapter 20. He commands the people of Israel. Let's begin in verse number 10 for sake of context. When thou comest nigh unto a city to fight against it, then proclaim peace unto it. Now let me just say, sometimes people say God is a terrible God. Look at all the killing that took place in the Old Testament. Well, hold on a moment because let me just remind you, here was the pattern. God commanded them, when you go to a city to fight against it, proclaim peace to it. And it shall be, if it make the answer of peace, and open unto thee, then it shall be that all people that is found therein shall be as tributaries unto thee, and they shall serve thee. They won't be destroyed. They don't have to be destroyed. Can I just say this for a moment? If the knee will bow now, if you will humble yourself now unto Jesus Christ, you do not have to be destroyed by the wrath of God, by judgment that is to come. If you were to study the history of these people, these tribes that we read about in the Old Testament, they were such evil people. Child sacrifice, and, and they would flay their, their, their enemies alive, literally pull the skin off of them alive. While they were, this is the kind of people that we're talking about. And you say, that's terrible. Well, by nature, every human being has that same, same propensity and, and potential inside of us. The Bible says, if they answer thee peace, then it's going to be okay. And if it will make no peace with thee, but will make war against thee, then thou shalt besiege it. And when the Lord thy God hath delivered it into thy hands, thou shalt smite every male thereof with the edge of the sword. But the women and the little ones and the cattle and all that is in the city, even all the spoil thereof shalt thou take unto thyself, and thou shalt eat the spoil of thine enemies which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Thus shalt thou do unto all the cities which are very far off from thee, which are not of the cities of these nations, but of the cities of these people. Watch this. Which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance. Thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth, but thou shalt utterly destroy them. Look at this, verse 17. 
namely by name, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the last one, the Jebusites. There's the name there. As the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Watch. Why? Why? Why destroy them? That's terrible. That sounds cruel. That they teach you not to do after all their abominations, which they have done unto their gods. So should ye sin against the Lord your God. God said, if you do not destroy these people, they will destroy you. If you do not take care of what I've told you to take care of, if you let them, somebody once said it like this. The sin that you spare today will spoil you tomorrow. The sin that you let live today. Some people say, all you Christians are a bunch of sticks in the mud. You know, you're just no fun. You know, no, no, you're not allowed to have any good time. And, and hold on a moment. We're, we're serious because we understand that if we allow sin to live in us, it will destroy us. If not today, then tomorrow. If not tomorrow, then the day after. But believe me, mark it down. It will wreck and ruin your life. It's very clear. The command was given. Okay, did they did they obey? The, why are we reading about it in Second Samuel that the Jebusites are still in Jerusalem? When we were, they were told, commanded that when they first go into the Promised Land, do business with the Jebusites. Look with you, would please, at Joshua. Moses had died. Joshua is now leading. Joshua chapter 3. Look what it says in verse 9. Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. So now we got a pro- we got a command in Deuteronomy. Now we got a promise that God will drive them out. So if there's a promise that God will drive them out, then why are they still there several hundreds of years later, decades later? Why are they still there? You ever wonder that? I'll tell you why. They're still there because some of you maybe like Joshua, I don't know about Joshua, but some of you maybe like the Israelites imagine that God's going to do it all himself. Do you know that? Some of you think, well, you know, there's not nothing I can do. I got this problem. I got this sin. I've got this addiction. I got this issue. Nothing I can do about it. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to sit around and wait till God does something about it. Maybe God will wave his magical wand over my life and abracadabra kazam. I'm fixed from all my sin. Can I tell you something? That's a fantasy. Do you know the New Testament is filled? I know that we have no power in and of ourselves to change ourselves. But I do know that God has given us what we need that we can get victory. And the New Testament is filled with commands like this. Fight the good fight of faith. Flee youthful lusts. Have you heard that one? I'm just going to sit here and hope God does something. No, get up and run. How about this one? Mortify, therefore, the members which are in your body. Look, I just can't help it. You know, I'm just, I'm a, Lord, you know how weak I am. I'm, I'm going to need you to do something. Yes, and God needs you to do something. Do you know when I stand before Jesus Christ one day and I say to him, Lord, I know I failed you here and I failed you here and I failed you here, but it wasn't my fault. Do you know what he's going to say? Hogwash. I gave you everything you needed. I gave you my spirit. God, look here, God lives inside of you. 
God, the one who said, let there be light. And there was light. He lives inside of you. And you're going to look at him one day in the face and tell him you couldn't help it. He's given you a sword. How powerful is his word? How powerful is his word? He's given you a family. Brothers and sisters that can come alongside of you. Hold your hand. Pick you up. You're not going to be able to say I couldn't help it. I think that's what happened with these folks. They were expecting the Lord to do it all. It's interesting, if you, if, you, if you fast forward a little bit more in the book of Joshua, Joshua 15. Joshua 15 is a, a very uh, interesting chapter. It's a chapter that records victory after victory after victory of the nation of Israel. Every single passage, victory, victory, victory. Until you come to the last verse, verse 63. The last verse of Joshua 15 says, As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Israel, the children of Judah, could not drive them out. Now hold on a moment. I thought they were commanded to drive them out. And I thought God promised that he would drive them out. So why do we read here that they could not drive them out? I'll tell you why. Because when you would not drive them out, very soon there comes a point when you could not drive them out. You hear me? When you will not obey the Lord, very soon there comes a point when you cannot. Some people say, I got this. I look up. I'm in perfect control over this sin. I can stop anytime I want to. I'm just going to dabble a little bit here, dabble a little bit there. I'm, I'm in perfect control. I'm not going to go too far. I'm not going to go too deep. I'm not going to go too much. And you think you're in control. And because you would not obey the Lord, then there's going to come a point when you can't help it. Have you ever been there before? When you gave it too much space. You gave it too much time. What about you? May the Lord help us. Some of us have made conscious decisions to hold on to some pet sin. It wasn't an accident. You love it. We've made a conscious decision to hold on some pet sin we're not willing to let go. And because we, the reason we're not willing to let go of it, let me hit you with a hard truth, is because you love that sin more than you love Jesus. Oh, how, how dare you say that? It's true. It's true. Or else you'd have no problem letting it go. If we really loved the Lord Jesus as much as we say we would, we'd have no problem letting go of so many things. What about you? Christians ought to stop singing, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art now. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, t-. we ought to stop singing that. We ought to stop singing, All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give, while you still hold on to some sin. Oh, it's not a big thing, you think? After a while, that stubborn habit that you thought you mastered and controlled, Begins to master and control you. You, you, you say, well, I don't, I'm not a drunkard. I don't drink at all. I, I don't look at things I shouldn't look at on the internet. I'm okay. What about the sin of pride? What about that one? You know, that stinks in the nostrils of God. Two things in the Old Testament that is recorded as out of the seven things that God hates that are an abomination in the eyes of God. 
Two of the seven deal with pride. A proud look and a proud heart. Two out of seven. And you think that because you don't, you don't smoke and you don't drink and you don't go to the movie theaters and because you don't swear and because you read your Bible an hour every day and because you're a deep deal, you think you're okay. But pride is just as ugly, if not worse. For was it not pride that called, caused Lucifer to fall? What about doubt? There are some denominations who think doubt is a good thing. And I say that's the biggest load of nonsense I've ever heard in my life. Because we read in the Bible that faith is the victory. Doubt's the opposite of faith. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. Doubt is not a good thing. God wants you to have victory. God wants you to be firmly settled on His Word. What about those things? That you've let into your heart. You've let into your life. And they've begun to control you. It's interesting in verse 63 of that passage in Joshua, Joshua 15. Look what it says. And the Jebusites, about the Jebusites it said. They dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day. Unto this day. Look here for one second please. Would you look this way? I wonder what sin is dwelling in your heart unto this day. You've let it live. You've let it continue. Judges chapter 1 and verse 21 says this, And the children of Benjamin could not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. Let me ask you this morning, what are your Jebusites? What are your besetting sins? The author of Hebrew talks about, let us run the race that is set before us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. The sin that trips us up. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe it's your temper. And you try to cover it up and say, that's holy indignation. You're lying to yourself. I'm justified in my anger because you were wrong. Hold on just a moment now. What is it? That is a Jebusite. And it needs to be laid beneath the sword of God's word. Stop making excuses for your pet sins. They're deep-rooted people. The Jebusites were a taunting people. You go back to our text in 2 Samuel 5. When David came up, they said, Except you take away the blind and the lame, you cannot come hither. Meaning, our blind people and our lame people are going to whoop you. Do you know why they said that? Because they knew that for centuries, the people of God did nothing to remove them. And do you know, the day you start trying to do battle with that pet sin, the day you say enough is enough, I'm doing business with this, I'm going to take a sword to it, the day you start doing that is the day that that sin begins to taunt you. You ever done that before? You ever got up and said, you know, I'm sick of this, I'm no more, today I'm not sinning like, I'm not going to do that thing ever again starting today. You ever done that? Before you get an hour into the day, you've done it. It's like that sin rises up in your face and says, aha, you can't stop me. A taunting people. I wonder what your besetting sin is. Somebody said it like this. Whatever you run to when you're stressed out is your besetting sin. Whatever you turn to for a little relief or for a little release, that's your besetting sin. Wherever you go when you're hurting on the inside, that's your besetting sin. Instead of going to Jesus... You go to that sin. 
instead of going to the word, you go to that particular vice. Psalm chapter 19, a beautiful psalm. Let me read it for you. Verse number 13 says this, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Why? Why? Let them not have dominion over me. And then shall I be upright, and then I shall be innocent from the great transgression. If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you want to fall and commit the great transgression? If I were to say, how many of you here today want to commit the great, some great sin that wrecks and ruins your life? Nobody would raise their hand. Nobody wants that, do you? Well, how do we keep from the great transgression? How do we keep that? Well, you don't let a sin have dominion over you. Well, how do you keep a sin from getting control over you? Well, the Bible says, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Keep away from them. Well, I know I shouldn't do that, but, but, well, that's just the way I am. Have you heard people say that? That's just the way, that's just my personality. That's just the way I have an addictive personality. I've heard some, well, hold on a moment. You think it makes it right? That's just my, that's just who I am. Well, then who you are is wrong and it needs to be changed. Stop making excuses. Well, I'm not as bad as she is, or I'm not as bad as I used to be. It's funny how we're so hard on everybody else and so easy on ourselves, isn't it? It's funny how we're so hard on everybody else, but so easy on ourselves. We ought to switch it around and be merciful to other people and hard on ourselves. And it's time we all took personal responsibility for the Jebusites living in our hearts. Okay, so how? We'll end on that. How? How do we get rid of the Jebusites? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you know you've got some foreigners living in your heart that shouldn't be there that have been taking residence, inhabitants for far too long? How do we deal with them? Well, let's look at the scriptures. Go to our text. Here's the first thing. First thing is this. The Bible says in verse number six, the king and his men went to Jerusalem under the Jebusites. You know what the first thing is? You need somebody else bigger than you. You need somebody bigger than you. Stronger than you outside of you. Because you, you've tried you've tried to stop, haven't you? Your whole life you've been trying to stop. You can't do it. You need somebody outside of you, like King David, to come in. Like Jesus Christ. What about that you know, the little parable Jesus talks about in the New Testament about the strong man? You can't bind a strong man unless somebody stronger than him comes in. And some of you have let the strong man of sin, the strong man of self, the strong man of the world bind you your whole life and you've been trying to wiggle yourself out and it's not working. You need someone stronger than the strong man which is none other than Jesus Christ. Your hope and dependence is going to be upon him and him alone. There's a reason, by the way, Satan and sin has had a stronghold for so long in your life because you're not strong enough. You need the king to come home. What's the next thing? Look at verse number 6 and 7. The king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking that David cannot come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. Second thing. Are you listening? You want to get victory over it? Here's the second thing. Stop listening to the lies. You want victory over that sin in your life? Stop listening to the lies. The Jebusites said, hey, David, you're never going to be victor over this. This will never be your throne. 
You can't even whoop the blind ones. And you got to stop listening to the lies. Some of us, like we talked about earlier, uh, with the children, some of you have been hit bomb after bomb after bomb by Satan, and you've been so pushed down and so depressed, you've been laid low that you think there is no hope, no victory, no chance of you ever being any different, and so you've grown accustomed to living with your sin. Just like Hitler. They tell us that the Battle of Britain began on the 10th of July, 1940. Lasted to the 31st of October 1940, but the Battle of the Blitz started in September, a month before that, and continued all the way through the 11th of May the next year. Day after day after day, the enemy drops bombs on your life. Day after day, Satan snuggles up to you in bed and says, you're good for nothing. Day after day, he whispers in your ear, you're always going to be a failure. You're never going to be any different. And until you can raise up against him and say, stop it, you liar. They're going to believe it. They tell me, I don't know how accurate this is. They tell me whoever invented all this social media, media nonsense, especially some of the more modern ones, they say it came from the East. And that the people who invented it won't let their own children use it. You know that? This TikTok and all this other nonsense. By the way, if you're involved in all that, it's a good time to stop. Because when you look at that, it's one thing after another of filth and darkness and nonsense. And people do this all day long. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Darkness, sin, sin, darkness, wickedness, ugliness, sin, lust. And you think you're going to somehow escape a corrupted mind? Do you know the people who invented that will not let their children use it? In fact, they have designed a different one, a different platform for their children that has nothing but co- kind of good things like uh, do-it-yourself projects and, and good things like that. And that's the only thing that they're allowed to see because they understand that whatever you put before your eyes and your face constantly nonstop is going to affect you. And here we are, a bunch of ignorant Westerners sitting there watching the nonsense over and over again and wonder why our society is crumbling beneath our feet right now. Satan is so clever. You and I have got to stop listening to the lies. What is the victory when you're being stamped upon by the enemy? What is the victory when you're being dumped upon attack after attack after attack? What's the victory? How do you get victory when you have no hope? This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Faith. The just shall Live by faith. Some of us act like Christianity is a one-time, one-time event. Bang, like you went down to Vegas somewhere and you won the jackpot. That's what some people think. Hey, it was just the luck of the draw. I had a good draw of the dice and hey, now I'm a Christian. Nothing's ever changed. Hold on a moment. Everything should change. You ought to be living by faith now. Every single moment. I'm not talking about faith in you. That pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do it today. Faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at another answer. This is very interesting. If you go back to our text in 2 Samuel chapter 5, how do we get victory? We understand you need somebody stronger. That's Jesus. Number two, you stop listening to the lies. Number three, you strike at the source. You want victory? Strike at the source. The Bible says in verse number 8 that on that day, David said, whosoever getteth up to the gutter. Now, I read this 
uh, last week, and I thought that sounds like a bit opposite because I thought the gutter was in the lowest part. But the word gutter there is actually in reference to a, a, a water pipe, not the kind of gutter that we imagine. The 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 gutter there is the the source of water, water shaft. And Jerusalem got its water from the spring of Gihon. And many of you know our brother Trist, Tristan, Tristan and Emily went to Jerusalem not long ago. And, and they saw the well of Gihon where the Jerusalem got their water from. And there was a water shaft outside of the wall of Jerusalem that went down to a, a, a kind of a well. And they drew the water. That's how the Jebusites got their water. And David said, I want you to get up to the gutter, cut off the source of life. You want victory over your sin? Cut off the source of life. Stop giving place to the devil. Make no provision for the flesh. That's why Jesus said, if your eye offends you, what? Pet it? If your right hand offends you, groom it? Put some nice fingernail polish on it? No. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, dig it out. Now he's not, listen, don't go out of here with a spoon and try to dig your eyeball out. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is wherever the root is. And the root, by the way, is not your eye nor your hand. It's a heart problem. Find the root. Find out where the sin is getting in. Find out what's giving life to the sin. By the way, if your mobile phone is feeding your sin, cut it off. Surely it'd be a whole lot better, wouldn't it? Surely be a whole lot better off. I can still remember when Paul Reachon, uh, young Paul, told me the story. I asked him one time, he carried around a little brick phone, a little Nokia. I said, Paul, what you do with a little, a little Nokia? He laughed, he chuckled a little bit. And uh, actually the story went like this. We were down by the river for the tent mission. And he said, that's the iPhone river. No, no, that's the ISIS, I think, is the proper, not iPhone. And the one that runs into the Thames. And he said, no, no, that's the iPhone river. What do you mean? He said, well, my, my, my daddy and I were having a walk one day and and we were talking, I had some problems with my iPhone, and my father was talking to me about it. We were walking and praying and talking, and finally he said, let me see your phone, son. And young Paul handed his phone to Big Paul, and Big Paul took it and chucked it into the river. and said, now that's the iPhone river. And still to this day, several years later, young Paul, 17, 18 years old, has a brick phone. Because he knows, cut it off. He's better off for it. He's better, maybe you've got a friend. Sorry, but if that friend is dragging you away from God, cut it off. I don't know. Now, don't file for divorce today because you think your wife or your husband is causing your problems. But maybe you've got an external friend that's causing you difficulty. Avoid it. Pass not by it. The Bible says in verse number 8, smite, that's what David said, whoever smites the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul. You think that's terrible. This is symbolic. The blind and the lame because your sin, look here, your sin makes you blind. You know that? I spoke. I speak with people all the time who are actively living in sin. I've been there myself. And when you're doing that, you make excuses for yourself, don't you? And you can't see just how wicked that you are being and where you're headed you can't see it it blinds you and then it makes you lame so you can't walk with God so cut it off time to do business smite those hated by David's soul because if you don't smite them they will smite you now here's one last thought and I'll close with this I love this one verse number 7 look at it I can't uh, no, no, I was talking with a young, a young person after doing a bit of counseling after a meeting. And I said, oh, 
Let me share with you. This is one of my favorite verses. She said, you got a lot of favorite verses, don't you? This is amazing. Look at this though, verse number seven. They said, you can never come up, David. And David said, nevertheless, nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. You want to get victory over your sin? Here's your last bit of advice. Stay consumed for the glory of God. Stay on fire that God should get glory. Now, I love this because Jerusalem wasn't yet called Zion. When they were, they're writing in retrospect and they're writing, David took the stronghold of Zion. You know what Zion means? Highest point. The Lord Jesus deserves the highest point in your life. Do you know what they tell me? I don't know about this, but they tell me that in an in a, in a Islamic home, in a Muslim home, they put, they put the Quran in the highest place of the house. That's symbolic of the place and the reverence and the value that they have for that book. I said to a young man this week at camp, and I sat next to him every time somebody was preaching, and he did this before the sermon was over. He shut his Bible like this and put it under his chair. I said, look, you do that one more time, we're going to have problems. What do you mean? I said, the man's not finished preaching yet. Keep the book open. This is the Word of God. There ought to be, we're missing something. Jesus deserves the highest point. The highest place of respect and honor and love. That's what Zion means. I I love this because what was once a weak place would very soon become a worship place. The place that was once ruled by a by a foreigner, by an alien people that shouldn't have been there, soon became ruled by God. Only God can do that. Only God can take your life which has been completely occupied by sin and darkness. Only God can clean that out and set up shop to rule and reign there. Let me tell you what that does. That gives me hope, doesn't it you? That gives me hope. But you've got to keep that that feeling of being consumed for the glory of God. What do we do when temptation comes? It reminds me, well, if the temple's supposed to be there, if my heart is supposed to be a place of worship and temptation enters in, the best thing you can do is do what your heart was made to do. That's worship. So here it comes. Here comes that old sin, that old temptation. What should you do? Stop and praise God. Right, is your mind being attacked? Stop. Praise God. Worship Him. Because that's what should happen there. And if you just stop, I don't feel like it. I don't care if you feel like it. Do it anyways. And you begin to worship God. Watch. Resist the devil, the Bible says. And he'll do what? Flee or run from you. And there'll come a point in time when he does the running instead of you. I'm going to close with one last illustration I shared the other night. This is this really blessed me when I heard read this little story. Some of you have heard of D.L. Moody. The great evangelist from America. He come to this country and preached and he made good friends with several ministers, but he was, he was preaching and there was a man converted in one of his meetings called C.T. Studd. Have you heard that name before? C.T. Studd was a famous Scottish cricketer. He was a, he was a, an, an athlete, world renowned athlete, but he gave all that up to go to the mission field. He joined the original Cambridge Seven and uh, left and went to China and then he ended up going to Africa. But he came back to give a testimony at a, at a D.L. Moody evangelistic meeting. And while he was giving a testimony, at the end of a meeting, a pastor came up to him. 
This was a well-known pastor, a well-known author, written many books. He came up to C.T. Studd and he said, look, I just can't help but, but think you've got something that I don't have. Now this pastor, I'm telling you, was one of the top in the nation. Well-regarded, highly respected. He was a brilliant mind. He wrote so many books and yet he recognized here's a man who had something that he didn't have. And without hesitation, C.T. Studd said, have you surrendered everything to God? And, and, he, and this preacher said, hold, hold on, I'm a pastor, what do you mean? I'm a pastor, I'm a writer. Of course, if I, he wrote later on and said, I was, I was offended that he even, even asked me that. He said, but more than that, I was convicted. Do you know who that pastor was? F.B. Meyer. Famous pastor of Leicester, Melbourne Hall, best friends with D.L. Moody. Amazing man of God. He said, I went home that night, convicted. I took my keys out of my pocket to unlock my, the door to my house. And as I unlocked the door to my house and I walked in my house, I met with Christ there in a way I've never met with him before. He said, I began to commune with the Savior. And the Savior said to me, give me the keys of your life. I stood there with the keys of my house and they became immediately symbolic of the keys of my life, F.B. Meyer wrote. And, and he said, the Lord said, give me the keys of your life. And I said, of course, Lord, you can have them all. And he gave, he said, I gave those keys to Jesus and the Lord Jesus began to go through each one of them. And after going through all of them, the Lord Jesus looked up and looked at me. He said, I hung my head. And the Lord Jesus said, this isn't all of them. I began to argue with Jesus. He said, I said, hold on. I've lived for you. I've served you. I've given so much. Surely I can keep this one little key. It's not that big. It's just a tiny little key. He said, the Lord Jesus turned and walked away. And I said, don't leave me, Lord. Don't leave me. Please don't leave me. He said, the Lord Jesus turned back around and he said, if I am not Lord of all, then I am not Lord at all. If I am not Lord of all, then I am not Lord at all. He said, I reached my hand in my pocket that day and I surrendered the last little bit of my life that I was holding on to into the hands of Jesus Christ. He said, that was the day that everything changed for me. That was the day that my whole life changed. I wonder this morning, is there anything that you're holding on to? Maybe it's some pet sin. Maybe it's some custom. Maybe it's some tradition. Maybe it's some pride. What are you holding on to that you have not surrendered to Jesus Christ that you're not willing to let go of yet? Whatever that is, give it to him today. Give it to him today. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Father, we confess unto thee that we have wasted so much time serving thee only partially or only giving thee part of our heart or part of our life. And we ask for help. We understand that we cannot do this ourselves. But we also understand that you've given us all that we need. We cannot make excuses any longer. So we ask of thee, Lord, help us to surrender everything. Everything. 
We pray that if there be any Jebusite in our life today, that thy spirit would show it to us. That we may call upon our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all of his men, as it were, to come and give, get victory for us. May we strike at the source. May we stop listening to lies. May we be consumed with thy glory instead of our own glory. And we pray that we might be those like King David who grow great, not for our sake, but for thine. Oh, help us to get victory today. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.